A locavore is a person who chooses to consume food that is grown, raised or produced locally. This is the Locavore Podcast, brought to you by White's IGA. Welcome to my Locavore Podcast. I'm Ros White and this is the podcast where we dig deep into the stories behind the hundreds of locally sourced, artisan, bespoke and innovative products available to you in one location at White's IGA on the Sunshine Coast. Our Locavore program was officially launched in 2013 to showcase and highlight to our customers where their food comes from and help connect them to the families who create it. Imagine coming home at the end of a busy day to enjoy a prepared meal created using only the highest quality ingredients sourced locally, of course, wherever possible, and lovingly prepared under the watchful eye of a chef hat without the hassle of preparation and cleanup. Too good to be true? No. The hatted chef based at beautiful Mooloolaba on the Sunshine Coast captures all the deliciousness of smoked meats, the dock at Malula Bar is absolutely famous for and delivered to many outlets across the Sunshine Coast and the wider regions, including White's IGA. They're easily heated up on demand for your enjoyment and convenience. The innovators, creators and founders of this fabulous offering. Join me now. Welcome Phil Hart and Chris Sells to the Locable Podcast. Hi, Ros. How are you? Hi, Ros. How are you doing? Thanks well, for having us here. Oh, this is really amazing. Welcome, gentlemen. Now, I wasn't even really sure where to start with you two because your backgrounds, this story, the Hatted Chef and everything that it represents is just quite amazing. But let's get into it. But first and foremost... The smoked meats mm-hmm. that you create at the dock, Malulabar, which are actually also the major ingredients in some of the beautiful flavours and the offering from the Hatted Chef. You're very famous for what? How do you create that magic? So it's a long process we do. We do it the same as the restaurant. So the Hatted Chef process is exactly the same. So the idea of it was not to dilute the product at all. So, again, we, we do a long process brine with a signature rub and then we do a 14-hour smoke across all the meats using high quality, exact same, we use the same brisket, we use the same pulled pork in the venue and I just think it's it just uh, the process of sous vide as well. So that's what we do also do in the restaurant as well. I think it's a great process and it keeps the integrity of the product. And meat cooked long and slow yeah. seems to just really enhance the food and amplify the flavour. Yeah, 100%. Stuff, yeah, the, the, everything, like whatever you put on it, this is going to be 10 times more more flavour. It can be just a simple spice rub or it can just be salt and pepper, but whatever you're going to do, that, that smoke really penetrates it and just gives it amazing mm. flavour and amazing texture. So brisket and pulled pork, generally the ones that you smoke, yep. are they better cuts of meat? Do they respond better to the process and give you the flavour profiles that you're seeking? Would you consider using any other cut of meat? Um, we use those two because they're quite a, a bit of a high fat content on them, so it sort of protects them. So again, with the pork shoulder, the sort of the rind and the fat protects it from drying out, and the brisket is a sort of a secondary cut. It's quite tough, so that that process really that the intramuscular fat sort of breaks down and moistens the entire entire joint of meat across yeah. both of them. Yeah, and 
I think, where do you source your meat from? Does it so come? Yeah, the pork shoulder is from Schultz Farm, which is on the coast. And we also get the brisket is from Toowoomba. So sort of Queensland sort of. Yeah, Queensland focused. sourced. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 Oh, very good. Yeah. My understanding is that potentially the tougher cuts of meat or the ones that you do cook longer respond more to flavour, don't they? Yeah. Whereas if you've got a beautiful steak and I fill it or a rib fill it, you wouldn't, no. would you? You just, they they come into their own when you just pop them on the barbie. Yeah, that's it. And just yum, yummy, yum, yum. So the Hatted Chef has had, you know, a great response and people are absolutely loving it. But there's a lot more apart from magnificent flavours and what you've created, which is just amazing. There's a lot more to it, isn't there, behind the Hatted Chef. And knowing that having a meal every day isn't something everyone can rely on and wanting to use this venture to support the community. Phil, you developed a program committing to quality nutritious meals or funds to feed the vulnerable and support homelessness through the Hatted Chef. Tell us more about this amazing program and why it's important. Well, I won't take complete glory for that idea because it was all of us. It was a collaborative idea. The funny thing, we were all sitting around during COVID when it first started and we were in the restaurant, an empty restaurant at the time, thinking, now what can we do to obviously keep people employed because we had chefs and we had waiters and we had like people that we didn't want them to leave and we were cognizant of the fact that they've all got families to support as well. So we came up with the idea of pre-packaged meals. I had a chef, which at the, at that time was called the Doc Takeaway or something, I can't remember. And during the course of that whole thought bubble, there's going to be other people who are doing it tough and who aren't eating or getting three square meals a day because of circumstance, i.e. it could have been COVID, it could have been they mightn't have been in a good position before that. So we thought from the very outset that we would build that philanthropic ability to be able to feed people as as the sales of the Hatted Chef grew, we would put profit or we would make extra and we would then seek out who we could distribute it through. So we went to the Salvos and the Red Cross and what have you and we came across the Sunny Street group, which was the two girls who were running that program to give medical services. And what became aware very quickly is that they said they get better traction of trying to give their medical services to people if they've got a full belly or if they can offer them something and start the conversation. So food is what started the conversation and so as a consequence of that we've been involved with them every single week we deliver or they, they actually come to the restaurant and pick up uh, a few eskies full of food all pre-packaged for them to take out and give to those who who need it. So that's how it sort of came out. It's just continued mm. to build. We've built the brand slowly, Roz. It's, mm. We're not in a hurry. We, w- we want to make sure that we do everything right and we don't compromise quality or the brand at all. So that's, and so it's sort of going successfully slowly and we'll continue to do that over the yeah. next few years, I guess. Magnificent. What a great story. Isn't it amazing how food unites us all? Mm, and bringing people together f- through celebration or and even terrible times, food brings people together and unites us. And 
you're utilising food and the Hatted Chef as a platform to bring them in to get them help, which is just so noble. Well, and the stories that the, the nobility here really is with the Sunny Street people. I mean, the work that they do is absolutely amazing and the stories that they told us about what that food was doing, like we were sitting there crying our eyes out just yeah. trying to cope with Yeah, That's what actually – I'm getting a bit flushed now it, just thinking about it. So uh, it's it is, amazing. Yeah. It is very moving and you're making mm. my eyes tear up here, <laughs> Phil, too. It is amazing and they are incredible ladies, yeah. Dr Nova yeah. and Sonia. Sonia. Sunny Street ladies, we're very proud of them and they are doing extraordinary things in our community mm. and a big shout out to yeah. those ladies and, yeah, incredible work that they are doing. Your experiences and your connection with Sunny Street, some of the stories I'm sure you would have heard or yeah. the experiences you felt firsthand, what, what's been the most impactful? Now, I'm going to try and get through this because when the girls told me, I I did not have a dry eye, I can tell you, but it was a story of they were going to, because as you know, they go to spots around the place and they and, and they try to encourage people to come over to their vehicle to get health checks and what have you, and they noticed there was an, an old man. It was near where they went every week, and I think it was, it was Nova who was telling me, and they were trying to get over and see him without being forceful, and they'd try and get over and he would deny their advances, I guess, to some extent. And it wasn't until they were able to give him some food, and fortunately it was our food, that they got some response to him, and that's where they said the food starts the conversation. And over a period of months, like he, he was dehydrated, malnutrition, skin was you know falling off his bones, like it was a horrible situation. And they nursed him back to health basically over a number of months. And then one day they went to see him and he wasn't there and it, it turned out that he'd passed away. <laughs> he'd passed away the previous week or something in between meals and uh, I, uh, you just break down. Like how he'd been left to get into that situation in the first place and then how, how he wouldn't accept because apparently he, they'd learned his story and he, he had been a, a person in business or he'd had a job and he had to, he'd had a family like like every one of us and circumstance had put him in the situation he'd become homeless and and you know things just went downhill from there but, but they saved him f for a good while and then you know he just passed away and he wasn't he wasn't an old man like it was, went well before his time but just the way that they tell the story and and <laughs> it's heartbreaking and there's any number of their stories that they can tell but they're such good women that they go out there and and battle through that like it, it's a difficult thing to battle. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're good people. They're yeah. really good people. They should be canonised in those yeah. things, those two. Yeah. <gasps> I'm sure they will be in yeah. time, but it does make you just stop and pause. Oh, well, you know. And think. We haven't got it so bad, Roz. You know, you go no. to a clean house and a roof over your heads and a three meals in your stomach every day. Yeah, there's people who've got a lot worse. So yeah. you've got to get back. Goodness. Phil, you commenced your business career in 1979. You must have been very young. 19. Completing a Diploma of Business Management and Hospitality. 
you established a catering and wine business at the age of 19. That's very young. Then you entered. No one would employ me, Ross. I had to do something. <laughs> well, you were a rebel. I bet you were yeah, a little a bit rebel. Of a rebel. <laughs> oh dear. Then you entered the business of financial services in 83, which has just gone from absolute strength to strength. From your very first start to now, employing more than 3,000 people with offices in every state and New Zealand across multiple other brands, you are one of the most relaxed, humble entrepreneurs I think I've ever met in my entire life. How do you keep your feet on the ground and what has been the driving force behind your incredible success? I've got two sons, a wife and now a granddaughter. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what family keeps you on the ground, I think, Roz, because you, you go home and you go, do goofy things at home or they're, they're pretty quick to, to seize on what you're doing in a, in a nice, kind way. But I just love spending time with my granddaughter, for example. They come over every week and we go catch lizards and stuff together and walk down on the rocks on the Malulabar Beach. So um, that's what holds me together is my family and yeah. and I just love being part of it. And then spending time with these young fellas at the restaurant with, you know, Jamie, who's the our crazy Spanish yeah. venue manager and general manager down there and, and Chris, like we have a good time together and yeah. I've got a similar crew in Melbourne and, you know, you spend time with those younger, vibrant people and they keep you younger and they keep your feet on the ground too. Yeah, they do, don't yeah. they? And families certainly do do that, yeah. but good on you. And you have a work family too, don't you? Yeah, and 100%. and I think family business that's the thing that sets family enterprise apart, yeah. isn't it? Just that decisions are made with a heart yeah. and and people feel that and they want to be a part of it, particularly if you have a strong purpose and a strong focus and people would prefer to rally behind leaders like that. I think so. Yeah, it's a great thing and we've got to look after our family businesses and our yeah. independence. The small business enterprises are the dominant ones in Australia, employing most of the people in Australia as opposed to the big business, so yeah. they're, they're, they're important. They are. They surely are. So how do you successfully manage all of those balls in the air, Phil? You're still involved. You've still got your financial – I mean, when we're talking about financial services here, we're talking about the fifth biggest financial services business in this country behind yes. yeah, other yes. major business. So, yeah. so here we are, this humble, gorgeous man – is sitting here with us in at beautiful Malula Bar, talking about his family and looking out for the community. And you're a powerhouse. I have no operational duties with that company. I'm a, I'm a shareholder in the company now, but I resigned operationally in 2012 to start off what we're doing here on the Sunshine Coast and the hospitality business in Melbourne. I resigned from the board in 2014 and just stayed there for a little while. And now I just attend shareholder meetings like everybody else. I talk to the people involved who are in the business. But you've got to be on it, not in it, to make it work and, and be able to oversee. I, I have meetings with everybody within my structure at the moment once a week and we sit down on Thursdays and just talk through what's happening. I have phone meetings with Melbourne or through the modern technology now. Of, you know, you can be anywhere at any time with the Skype type services or Teams. And same, we've got a gym here in Britannia. So my youngest son runs that with his wife. And they've 
taking it from strength to strength. So I guess it's all about system, process and procedure and making sure that you've got good systems, process and procedure. And whether it's a a gym or whether it's a financial services or whether it's a, a restaurant or a dive shop, if you've got the right process and procedure, you can run it. And if you've got good people, yeah. and we certainly have good people, and maybe that whole process attracts it. But I'd like to think that it's no one works for me. We all work together. 100%. And, and we work with each other. There's many times, Roz, where in a Thursday meeting for the restaurant that I, I think I'll come up with a great idea and it gets voted down and, and it doesn't go ahead just because it's my idea it doesn't mean it goes ahead it's yeah. everyone everyone comes up with but that's true to leadership yeah. when you step back and let the ideas flourish and, yeah. and listen and and respond to the right way yeah. speaking of good people Chris you were awarded the highly coveted good food guide chef hat yes in 2016 congratulations thank you, thank you. after commencing your illustrious career at Echo Bistro yep. with Philip Johnson now if you're an avid restaurant goer you will know this little place in Brisbane just yep. on the corner there yeah, yeah. then you went on to work with some of the best award winning restaurants in Queensland and here you are on the Sunshine Coast at the Doc Malula Bar as the executive head chef and also overseeing the Hatted Chef. Number one, I want to know a little bit more how you're awarded a chef hat yep. and what that means. Yep. And also what brought you here to this glorious place? Yeah. Well, the chef hat award is like, the, I guess, the equivalent of the Michelin system in Europe. If you're going to get promoted from one, two or three, someone comes out, said, hey, had a great meal. It's, it's, it is a collective thing. It's, it's service, it's wine, it's ambience, it's food. They come in, if they think you've done a great job, then they get to send a few more people in, a few more people in. That was at Nickel Kitchen and Bar, which was a part of the NKB group for the Peabody's. We were open for, I think, two and a half months and we got that. So opening a new restaurant, super, super busy. And then that happened as well and it just, it just ramped up from there. I was with that group for nearly four or five years. And then my wife Amber fell pregnant with our daughter Poppy. So we're like, you know what, i am had enough of the city. I don't want to be in Brisbane anymore, so I'm going to come up to the coast. So... So, so the circumnavigate got my way down from Noosa to Mooloolaba now, and I'm super stoked to be working with Phil and 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 doing what we're doing each day. I think it's it's amazing what we're, what we're doing and and what we're achieving each week. And I'm sure working with gentlemen like Phil mm. and his team, allowing you to you know put your stamp on things, yeah. that must be a really great feeling to sort of have someone like that. that... Yeah, hundred percent. It's nice to someone's. Trust your judgment, and sometimes those it doesn't always work. It's good. It's good to have a, a, a relationship like that with someone. Yeah, it is good on you. You were pivotal in the creation of the How to Chef Meals. We've talked about how it started, and it was a bit of a, a pivot. We try not to use that word at a time where we all know what happened in 2020. Mm. And I suppose it was a great idea at the time because you're trying to sort of provide a solution at a very difficult time and also keep Phil was trying to keep people employed everyone was clinging on by their fingernails weren't they we didn't know what yeah. the heck was going on so tell us a little bit about the journey from your perspective chris and the development of the product because it's not easy you know you, everything starts no. with a great idea yeah. and you dive in which is great and then you go okay well yeah. <laughs> you learn on the run yeah. sometimes don't you, you tell do. us about that I think, was, I think a, a few months maybe it was a month or two out of obviously the covid lockdowns i was coming up with an idea to to do something we sort of we were slowly starting to do these cry of act meals we were, selling, we were selling a bit through the restaurant regulars would come in they'd buy you know five or whatever so they were sort of ever changing 
and then obviously COVID hit and then again like like Phil said, we needed to keep people employed. We wanted to do something that after COVID is going to keep on going and keep on doing it. And we sort of looking out in the market, we wanted to do something completely different. And that was a huge thing. As a chef, I didn't want to put my name on something that was, it was just going to be a mediocre product. It had to be good. I think and Phil and Jamie both understood that well. And they were all sort of huge champions with that. That was it for me. And, and I really wanted to make it work. And I think we're, again, slowly successful. And yeah, that's basically it. We put his picture on the inside of the pack. Yeah. That's what clinched it for us. The what? what? <laughs> we put his picture oh, on yes. the inside of the pack. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember we we were very fortunate to yeah. to have been the guinea pigs or the taste testers? Yeah. Well, you weren't fortunate. You were very generous, Ros. Yeah. We were told that Ros White runs the Locavore program and to go and have a chat with her. And, and you took the call, you took the meeting and it was a major springboard to get us to where we are. Mm. So thank you. Oh. I, just, I just remember our first wobbler that we showed you. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> was the most like hysteric. <laughs> I know, and I have to share this story because it's too funny not to. So in retail world, we have a thing called a wobbler, which brings attention to a product. So, you know, you might want to highlight a local product that they had a chef, which is what clearly we were trying to do. And then normally it's a it's a small sort of, I don't know. It's like not, a business card yeah, sort 10. of like. Phil's and Chris are new to kind of retail space. They've done lots of other things. So when they're talking about a wobbler trying to get attention to their product, they, they brought me in a sample of the wobbler and it was about the size of an A3 piece of paper. <laughs> I said, you won't even see any other product for a metre around it. Oh, that was the height everyone else was there. We didn't know. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. It was it was a funny moment, wasn't it? We laughed and laughed and laughed about that. Goodness me, you got to laugh along the way. <laughs> Phil, apart from all the other incredible things to do, you mentioned it before, you're also the owner of Sunreef. Yes. Sunreef at Mooloola Bar, which also offers Australia's first swim with the whales activity. Yep. To be honest, and I feel ashamed, I actually didn't even really know that, that you can swim with the whales. What an amazing experience oh. for people to come and enjoy. So tell us about it. Well, you need to come out. I do. You've got a week and you can get out there because they're at their best right now. But if if you get in the water and you've got a 25, 30-ton animal right next to you, like within arm's length, like what I was saying before, it's emotional. Like you can actually cry in the water while you and you're just sitting there in awe of this creature. A few years ago, I had a calf come up to me and it would have been from me to you away, Roz, and it put its pectoral fin hovering above my shoulder and it was looking at me and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, is the colour of my wetsuit going to change from the inside? Uh, (laughs) and, And then it put its fin over the top of my head and down the other side on the other shoulder, it wasn't touching me. It was their spatial awareness is incredible, and then it just swam off, and I'm just in the water. Did that actually just happen? Wow. Like it was just amazing, and we've had any number of those sorts of experiences. We had people on a line about a metre apart and a, a newborn calf, which wouldn't have been much bigger than a dolphin, came over and swam between every single per- like it. It looks like it says to its mum. Can I go over and check them out? And and the the mother and the calf, they yeah, you can do that. And then between them all, and then back over to mum, and then off they go. But wow. it's it is humbling, I can tell you. And these animals are so magnificent in the water. It's 
it's not unrealistic to call it life-changing, Ros, yes. when you're in the water with that sort of a, a creature and to, they're, they're just magnificent animals. Do many people get in? Oh, a lot. To take a bit of courage to get in there with them. Well, I mean, it's not getting in the – it's not so much getting in with them that's the issue. It's you're out in the ocean and there's 30 or 40 metres of water beneath you. That's probably you know you normally in the ocean you you can stand up and you're on the sand, oh. or in a in a swimming pool and you can see the bottom. You know nine times out of ten you can't see the bottom. Thirty meters of this is pretty good. It's just being in that environment. So it's not exhausting, but it's challenging to to do that. If you're a, if you're an okay swimmer, wetsuits are very buoyant. You're not gonna you're not gonna sink under the water. It, it's a little bit of personal exertion that you've got to get into. If I can do it at wow. sixty two years of age, you youngsters can do it. <laughs> so how far out do you have to go offshore? To swim? well, at the moment we're going probably three hundred meters. Some days, like it's it's not far. Early in the season, you're going out. Maybe ten kilometres or more. Out, it's what they call the Whale Highway, which mm. is out past the shipping lanes, where they just come up and down, going north to to breed and to have their babies, and then they come back down south with the babies, and they come in much closer because they can't stay under the water for uh, their depth times probably five minutes, not even. So, and they don't want them to go too deep, the, mm. the parents. So they cruise like back along the shoreline. I can see them from our house yeah. on Malulavar Esplanade there. So yeah, last yeah. weekend I saw some, and yeah. we just went for a bit of a walk along the beach, and yeah, yeah they were just yeah, absolutely magnificent. Now yeah, you need to come out this week. So I'll what's on tomorrow? Hey, I'll I'll check it out if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> so just turning to another one of your incredible projects, you purchased the Captain Melville Hotel in Melbourne City, yep. which is. Managed by your son, Jared. Jared, yeah. Melbourne got hit really hard. But is it also maybe another venue that you could roll out the hatted chef? Yeah, we have been talking about because we're focused in Queensland at the moment and getting that right, you know, the slow rollout that we've been talking about before. But we also have had interest in in Melbourne through the Metcash group, who you helped get us into, and Foodworks as well. So... We've had some samples down there. They're interested in in taking up the product. We think at the moment we can maintain production out of Queensland because it's under Chris's watchful eye and we've got all the HACCP certification here, but it's not a big stretch to be able to move it. we just got to make sure we get the exact same ovens. We'll source the produce from the exact same places so it's all exactly the same. People expect, don't they? So, Chris, you've got five dishes, I think it is, isn't yep. it? Five yep. dishes across your range of the Hatted Chef. Yep. The mushroom risotto is absolutely divine. Yeah, that's one of our it's well priced, yep. I might say, too. Yep. And the mushroom risotto, A, if you're a vegetarian, completely, yep. totally fine. But also, I think it's a lovely accompaniment if you do like mm. a steak. So, you know, for a couple where someone's not eating meat, someone is, it's a beautiful accompaniment. You can just yeah. add your fresh parmesan or whatever and you have your brisket and your pulled pork. Yep. What are the other flavours and dishes and what have you got future plans? Yes, we've got we've got another brisket. So we've got a pulled peppered brisket and then we have a, a pumpkin and spinach risotto. We're looking at doing a chicken dish um, probably for next year. And as well as a Sri Lankan style sort of vegetarian curry as well. Something a bit different, something that's still really nice and it's still true to what we want to do and what we want to produce as a high quality meal. So mm. that's what's on the horizon for us. And again, those products like the mushroom risotto, you can 
open the bag cold. You can roll into a ball, make an arancini out of it and put it in the air fryer or a shallow fryer. So there's lots of variations Ooh, that can be done. That's with, a hot tip, guys. Yeah. Listen to that one. That was yeah. great. Yeah. Very, very good. I hadn't thought about that, mm. but there you go. So when you launched this, there were bigger serve sizes, weren't yeah. they? So there were, so basically a normal serving, like a one serve you might for a ready meal, it might be about 350 grams or something, but yeah. you you were presenting your meals in a much bigger serve size, more, closer to 700. Yeah, there was 700, yeah. wasn't it? So if you were hungry, yeah. you'd be well fed. Or you could split it into two. Yeah, and if you had, had a team of starving boys at home, they would yeah. gobble one pack one down. Each, but yeah. I guess the market dictated what happened there and we've gone to single serves. You probably know from your supermarket experience, Ros, that the consumer sometimes just sees the price and didn't see the size of the pack was actually double. Yes. And so they were saying, oh, that one's $10 and that one's $20. They better be a lot better. So we had a degree of success with that, but then we took uh, advice and we, we took what our sales were doing at the time and we decided to drop back into single packs. And we've just changed the package now so yeah. that it Saw can that be... this week at our local yeah. market day. Yeah. So you can... Harrison was presenting yeah. at our Baringa store and he showed me the new packaging and he was very proud yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. that's working it's pretty good. well. And, and we've put a little bit more moisture into the packaging now so yep. that they can be microwaved. We, as purists... Preferred them to be sous vide as we'd originally intended because yeah. it does keep the integrity better, but the microwave is working. So yeah. yeah, and I guess when you know we first started talking, you know, I could identify the uniqueness of what mm. your offer was and that it was set apart. There wasn't really anyone else in the market doing it, which is why I I was drawn to it and felt that it was a great idea because it was unique in many many ways. A chef prepared bigger serve sizes, and so it sort of sat on its own. Yeah. But at the end of the day. As they say in retail, let the customer decide. You have to listen to your customer and what their expectations are and what they're used to and how they compare. And price is important. People are aware of what they're paying and they may see that, like you say, Phil. And being in business is about evolving and adapting and creating something that is, is appealing for the customer that they can identify with and enjoy. So it's a continuous... Always. You're always learning. Always learning. So, Phil, you're... Generous man, and you have a heart for community and support others. You're also a board member of Visit Sunshine Coast. I am. Which is great. So, what does that involve, and what inspires you to give? I have a, a, a code that I live by, which is a, a Greek word called philotomo, which the, the rough translation is do something for somebody else or a group or what have you without any expectation of making your life better or getting an advantage from it. And it serves me well to do that sort of thing. I guess it's a pay it forward type of philosophy and I'm just happy to do that yeah. sort of thing. So it's, uh, it's just my DNA, I guess. My mother was a very generous person. She used to do a lot of charity work and work back in the day she was a driver for the Red Cross and that was all you know, voluntary work and she did, did voluntary work almost up until the day she died. I guess it rubs off. Yeah, <laughs> they do, don't they? So beautiful. Fresh food needs to be managed well, doesn't it, Chris? Mm-hmm. It's the key. It's the, you know, maintaining the quality, it's preservation, where it's yep. sourced. It all makes a difference. But there's a real emphasis now on sustainable and ethical sourcing. Yeah. 
low food waste. We've gone back to wanting to see more Australian manufacturing, which is a yeah, very good thing. Fantastic. So what strategies have you got at play to make sure that you're sort of meeting all of those those sort of guidelines or milestones, but also, you know, to be sustainable and to be viable because yeah. where we are at the moment where well, we're still developing strategies and getting things right, you know, from the top to the bottom, sometimes there can be additional costs to be sustainable. Yeah. If you want sustainable packaging, it's more expensive than other. Yeah. So there's a balance of meeting our milestones yeah. and also maintaining our cost basis or, or our viability. So yeah. how are you managing that? Look, I guess it's like a constant, ever-changing sort of research for me. And, and again, with the Hatter Chef, we, we take our time. Like Again, we're looking launching new products. We take our time. It's the same as what we do at, at the dock. It has, to, it has to be sustainable. It has to be as local as possible. Sometimes you can't just call up someone and be like, hey, can I get these? And they're going to come from, from elsewhere. So I guess the biggest thing is we take our time with, I guess we've, we've kept these five products with the Hatter Chef and we're constantly looking for what that next product's going to be. Is it going to be sustainable? How can we do it locally? Where can we source it? How can we support anyone that's on the Sunshine Coast or Queensland? And that's huge for me and, and helping helping the little guys out and where we where we can do that. Mm. And the food rescue, obviously, part of that is the homeless. Yep. Yep. You know, you're doing yep. that through that, fulfilling that goal yeah. as well, which that's is really important, isn't it? to 100 meals a week we're doing yep. at the moment, which is fantastic. We went through... 5,000 meals, yeah. I think, uh, not that long ago that yeah. we'd, we'd given out since we'd started. So yeah. Yeah. that's good. Congratulations. Well done. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And, and sadly, it'll quite possibly escalate, unfortunately, just with yeah, the current environment say. and yeah. moving towards Christmas. There's a community that stands behind our people in our yeah. community that, that are vulnerable. And so we've just pulled together and, yeah. you know, look out for each other, don't we? Yeah, yeah we have to. That's Ross. what communities do. Yeah. So what other exciting and innovative plans do you have ahead for the Hatted Chef and even potentially for the myriad of enterprises that you're, <laughs> that you're both involved well, we in? we hasten slowly. So the new products that Chris is talking about are yeah. in the developmental. It takes a long time to, to go from the thought bubble to yeah. being production because Chris follows a, a pretty hefty HACCP regulation mm-hmm. to make sure that it's all you know, properly packaged, properly sealed, and and we have to go through microanalysis out in the laboratories. Near, yeah, Dina. Yeah, Dina. Dina. So that, that takes months for that to all mm. do what it needs to do. And then if something's not quite right and you've got to alter it, then it's another month or so. So and we try to get it right the first time, and that's why I say we hasten slowly. So it's really just more product, more distribution. That's in, in the in the Hatted Chef space. We'll, we'll conquer Queensland first and then, as I said before, look at those other markets in the new year into New South Wales and Victoria So and, and possibly South Australia through the Drake's network. So, yeah, cool. Yeah. What's been your biggest learning in not just the Hatted Chef but in life and, and I suppose the thing that maybe has sat you down on your tail, your biggest challenge and how you might have overcome that? I think in regards to, I guess as an example of the Hatted Chef, it's for us it was it was new to that retail space, and I guess when you, when you're writing a menu, you can dict, like in the restaurant, you can dictate what someone's going to eat, what they're going to have, how they're going to like it, and then you've got all these options. But I, I guess the biggest the biggest challenge for with the Hatted Chef was we had all these ideas, and then yep, that's going to sell, and that product doesn't sell. The challenge was all right, so it's consumer driven, and 
they obviously know what they want. If they don't, if they don't want that particular product, they just won't buy it. And then mm. like, oh, okay, that was a huge thing for us. We tried the beetroot risotto. Beetroot cashew. We, it was really good. Really tasted good, but. <laughs> It, it just wouldn't sell. And then yeah. we had uh, the retailers, for example, they were putting it with all the rest of the meals and then we tried putting it in the vegan section and it went a little bit better in some vegan yeah. sections, but it just it just didn't work. But it tasted really good. Yeah. Like, but just couldn't, couldn't yep. seem to get it off the wall for whatever reason. I suppose an analogy of that is if you, you know, as a in a restaurant, it would be like people leaving food on their plate, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It'd sort of yeah. be a bit cut, wouldn't you? Yeah, like, that's it. oh, okay, why didn't they like that? Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they're just full. And, yeah. and they're, they're quite generous serves at the dock, and I'm always saying to the boys, you know, they're pretty big serves, and, and we were only talking about it yesterday where elderly people might come in, they'll order a kid's, which is fine, because they, they you know, the fish and chips, for example, is quite a generous serve, and it's difficult to get through. But... What's your most popular dish at the dock at Malala Bar? What's 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 the family fave? What do you rock up there and have to order? I think it'd be the sizzling prawns with the chorizo and curry leaves as our, no, as our entree. So it comes out in a cast iron skillet and it goes out with a bit of wine in it. So it comes out, it's steaming, like sort of Mongolian lamb at a Chinese restaurant kind of vibe. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's, pretty good. that's our most popular. And then our, our prawn risotto is pretty... Pretty out there. Anything sort of anything we put on that's like local seafood there is just an immediate yeah. immediate hit. So you'd you know? bring your seafood from the Malulabar Wharf, obviously. Yep. You go down there and yep. do you buy off the boat? One of our chefs there, his our family own a couple of trawlers. So we, we were getting prawns off them, tuna, swordfish and mahi when it, when it's available. So we, we we always get like one this monster comes in as sixty kilo fish and we break it down and then and then obviously um, the guys up at MRF and a couple of other local yeah. seafood suppliers, they'll always let me know what they've got coming in, what's yep. landing, and mm. I'll always try and get something that's, you know, within that 50, 100-kilometre radius of the restaurant. And it's a literally a two hops and a skip down it is. Park and Parade, isn't it? You can ride it? down on my bike and pick them up. Yeah, yeah. totally. And you probably <laughs> might be quicker sometimes yeah. <laughs> to do that. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's absolutely fantastic. So... I guess, Phil, you know, you sort of touched before on what your heart for community, but what's your mantra? What's your motto in life? My motto, and it's written on the wall <laughs> at the dock, is, and it's a, a, a saying that was coined by St. Jerome probably back in the 1500s and probably made famous by Henry Jones at IXL, and it's good, better, best, never let it rest till your good is better, better and, and your better, better best. best. I know it. We yeah, used to yeah. recite that at school yeah. every day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes, I yeah. love that one. Yeah, so that we, is so we've, true. We've, we've got it on the wall at the dock and in the office. Yeah. In the office so. Oh, my yeah. goodness. That's a blast from the past. Yeah. It's good. So that's probably why we feel connected, hey? We can Possibly. Just, yeah. <laughs> Did you go to a Catholic school? <laughs> no, I went to a little country school, a state school, yeah, in the, in the bush. Uh, we so, say the rosary in our father every morning yeah, at the Catholic school, yeah, but uh, uh, I, I heard that oh, it was probably 40 years ago yep. and I've always just stuck by it. Yeah, it, it does stick in your head yeah. and it's true. If you think about every word, yeah. it is so relevant to yeah. everything, isn't it? It is. Love it's it. good. Chris, what's your mantra? What's your motto? I guess my, more my food philosophy is, is, is just, you know, fresh and local is best. That's 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 my motto. Being a chef, I'm a chef's sort of been my whole life and yeah. that's where I've always been sort of is, is, is supporting locals and, and, and keeping it fresh and simple. 
Love it. Love it. To a T. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Well, keep yeah. up the amazingness. Yeah. Wonderful support for the community. Beautiful, top-notch offering and service through the Hatter Chef. Yeah. I've seen you in your kitchen. I've seen you at work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the pleasure of, you know, getting to know you over the last few years, Chris and Phil. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to get, you know, both of you better. Likewise, girls. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for being absolute champions and joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you for the invitation. A locavore is a person who chooses to consume food that is grown, raised or produced locally. This is the Locavore Podcast, brought to you by White's IGA.